you've heard the gospel story taken from the holy book and you know the joy of jesus and the path of love he took well hello dorothy northeast this is Josh Wilder again, bringing you a conversation with someone from our community, and this time I am speaking with Vivian Parker. Hello, Vivian. Hey, Josh. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing very well. And Vivian has been a part of Door of Hope for how long now? More, a little more than five years. A little I think. over five years. So. Did you start when we were in the Northeast building, or were we at the Washington School? We were in this Okay, so we were in this building. All right, mm-hmm. so you remember the Door of Hope before the, the wandering through the right. wilderness? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, so once again, we're here with the conversation just to hear from a breadth of perspectives from the people in our church about various things. And we'll start off by asking Vivian... Tell us about your family background, you know, where where your family roots, where did you grow up, spending your childhood, and all that sort of stuff. Okay, um, well, it's pretty simple. I was uh, born in El Dorado, Arkansas, mm. uh, 1940, February 27th, 1940, wow. and... Um, Just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense. Um, my folks moved out here uh, in 1944. It was, it was because mm-hmm. of the World War that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Kaiser, a uh, businessman, ship, a shipbuilder, whoever uh, he was, um, he, wanted, uh, he wanted people to build ships mm-hmm. during the war. And so he put out a call all over the country for mm-hmm. people to come out this way to, uh, to work in shipyards. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of African-Americans, along mm-hmm. with other people, it wasn't just African-Americans, right. but there was a great migration mm-hmm. of African-Americans around that time. And so where did we go to? Okay, when we got here... Um, the state of Oregon, city of Portland, was not necessarily that welcoming of a um, of a city. I learned this mm-hmm. a lot later. Mm-hmm. But they uh, so uh, Mr. Kaiser was creative, and he kind of built his own housing uh, development to receive the people that right. were coming here. Mm-hmm. And so that was called Vanport, and right. it was a little uh, area between Washington and, uh, well, between Portland and the state of Washington, mm-hmm. the very uh, northernmost, northwestmost, almost the northernmost edge of Portland, is about as far as you can wow. get without being in the So in a lot like river. Jansen Beach almost? Right over yeah, there, yeah. Jansen yeah. Beach, yeah. yeah, Hayden Island, Jansen Beach, <clears> right? <throat> not too far from the Columbia River, mm-hmm. the bridge. So anyway, yeah, we were settled in there. And um, of course, we were not among the first to come there because mm. the war was on and it was actually um, almost over by the time we got there. I think mm-hmm. we got there in 44 and I think the war ended in 45. Yeah. And so, um, but nevertheless, that was our home and um, my dad came up earlier and he found a place for us to live. And my mom and the rest of us came on a train mm-hmm. with a bunch mm. of other people coming by train yeah. from Arkansas the very mm-hmm. first time. But I was four, so what did I know? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I had other siblings and it must have been about maybe five of us about that time, mm-hmm. maybe six of us. So anyway, we settled in Vanport and of course... Uh, in 1948, Vanport was flooded out. Right. And so I was in that flood. I was mm-hmm. eight. And it was quite an experience. But um, it wasn't uh, just African Americans in that area. I learned later, uh, because I can tell you why my experiences there were that there were white people down there as well, poor mm-hmm. white people down mm-hmm. there as well. But I right. learned later how it was you know, arranged mm-hmm. because we went to the same stores, mm-hmm. grocery store, right. everything was right there. Stores, yeah. school, yeah. theater, everything was there. Mm-hmm. So we went to the same schools mm-hmm. and uh, and I knew that they were in Vanport, but I learned later when I looked at, when I went to a reunion of uh, Vanport uh, persons who were in the Vanport flood, mm-hmm. 
maybe maybe six or eight years ago, I saw the uh, the map of the area and mm-hmm. how the housing the housing was uh, uh-huh. was laid out, how it was designed. So it appears that there were white people there and there were other races of people there too, but mm-hmm. the African Americans were in the center. Oh wow. And then around the outside were other races of people. Wow. So we were all there, but we were not intermingled. Right. Living, you know, like right. next door neighbors. And so um and I learned that much later, but mm-hmm. I just knew that there were, you know, always the different ones of us there mm-hmm. there were other races so mm-hmm. um after that's how we got here and mm-hmm. that is the question you asked me <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah wow that's um such a great story i love hearing how how people end up where they end up and i did i did do some reading on the van Port flood i i forgot exactly when it was but you said 48 so you'd been eight years old when the eight. flood happened so after the van Port flood uh a lot of people were without a home, so, but and you guys were able to stay in Portland. We were able to stay yeah. in Portland. Yes, a lot of uh, some people left there and moved to Washington, mm-hmm. and there was kind of like a a a, a community that uh, moved into Washington, right. and uh, some of us that were just like got out with everything that was just on our back. Right. And we had our Bible, a typewriter, and the clothes on our back. Right. Wow. And so uh, directly after the flood, uh, some of us were housed in a uh, elementary school okay. called Woodlawn. And we had breakfast there until they were trying to decide what to do. Some people mm-hmm. went various places. And at one time, some of us were split up. My family was pretty was pretty good size. It must mm-hmm. have been around seven maybe of us, including my mom and dad. But we were split up mm-hmm. um, off many times. Some of us went to live with a family, a private family on, off of Sandy Boulevard, a, oh, wow. a white family. Mm-hmm. And that was a short while. And uh, then we went to Swan Island, which was like oh, wow. military mm-hmm. barracks and whatnot. We lived there twice. Some went, you know, wherever they could find shit, you know, from right. here and there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we lived on uh, Swan Island, went to different schools. I think we were moved around maybe five times mm-hmm. before uh, we went to a project called St. John's Woods, which is way out north, we're out near St. John's. And um, so that's how I, we got out there. And so I'm that's sorry. where we landed. Mm-hmm. And after that, my folks were able to buy a home. I see. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So cool. Fast forward. Mm-hmm. You're living in Portland, and then somehow you come across this church called Door of Hope. Describe to us how, because you you were going to a church before Door of Hope. Um, so just tell us like what, how all that transpired. Well, yes, I had been going to a church um, uh, for many, many years, maybe 50, more than 50 years. Uh, that was in the city of Portland. Um, they had many moves uh, uh, in the city, and so we ended up in a church right up the street from here. Oh, really? Uh, Maranatha Church, right okay. on the 12th and Skidmore. Mm. So when we first moved there, it was a small building, and then we built the larger building on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we went through uh, changes in uh, leadership and whatnot like that. So mm-hmm. some of the best years... A great part of what happened in Maranatha was during the 70s with the hippie movement, Mm -hmm. with the Jesus people. (laughs) Yeah. Our church was the recipient. uh, We we welcomed a large number of those young people. Oh, really? Into our church. Oh, it was the best days. It exploded our church. That's a whole different story. Wow. But um, it was just like glory days in that time, but then uh, as time went on, the church went through a lot of changes, yeah, yeah. a lot of leadership changes and whatnot, and it came to a point whereas, and I served in that church a lot, you know, mm-hmm. different you know, positions and whatnot, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but anyway, so there came a time when I, I was really feeling in my spirit that um, there was something missing that there we had just kind of like shifted away from mm-hmm. the purpose of the church, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. preaching the gospel and uh, bringing men and women to know Christ right. and making disciples. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So I started to kind of grumble and complain and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, prayed about it. And so the Lord never said that I could, I was free to go mm-hmm. because I had, I was listening. Mm-hmm. And so, so basically I wasn't ready to go because I was still in that complaining, griping mode because mm-hmm. I didn't see this. And so, um, I was in church one day and I had my iPad out and I was just trying to do something different to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the, I think I may have told you the story before, but anyway, the Lord told me then, he said, no matter what's going on or not going on, I'm worthy to be praised. Mm. And so after mm-hmm. that, I thought like, okay. So mm-hmm. I just kind of like, you know, stopped complaining and looking for, you know, excuses to not to, uh, to be involved and whatnot. So yeah. I actually started getting back involved and I said, okay, Lord, I'll just do what you tell me to do. Mm-hmm. And so that went on for a while. And then one morning in December, I believe it was 2014, the Lord said to me, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> so, so he told me that I could go. He told me how to go. Mm-hmm. Because if I left in a, a bad mood or attitude, mm-hmm. what good would the church that I was going to go to? Right. That would not benefit that church, right? So yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. he told me what to do. So I did that. Mm-hmm. So I left with friends. And uh, so uh, a co-worker of mine and a couple of co-workers, we had heard about Door of Hope. So we came to one of the early services. They were having like 8 o'clock, 10 something. Right. Five something. Yeah, there yeah. were like four services. Right, so we yeah. went to the very yeah. early one. And so, and, and I know that I, it seems like I've mentioned this to you before, but mm-hmm. this is a different format. But <laughs> I knew immediately when I came in the door that this is where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I never looked back, never had a question about it. But my friend, she had to kind of like, you know, kind of check around a little bit and whatnot. Yeah. But believe it or not, there, we're all back and do it. We're all in the <laughs> They're in Southeast and I'm in Oh, wow. Yeah, that's We're great. still friends and we oh, still, wow. you know, and so they're, they're active and I, and I am too. So, um, but God is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have no doubts that this is where he wants me to be. Yeah. And we wow. are so glad to have yeah. you <laughs> with us. Wow. Yeah. I love hearing these kinds of stories where it's just like God is moving. He's and moving. And... You're listening and following. Yes, that's important. Yes. Because he's always talking. We just need to listen and be obedient, right? Uh, yeah, I hear you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so take note, if you're listening to this, and you're thinking about leaving Door of Hope, wait until the Lord lets you go. Right. <laughs> or if you're hearing this and you're part of some other church. Yeah. Don't go until the Lord gives you Listen to him. He will tell you, <clears throat> and it's a smooth process, and you won't leave damage in your trail right exactly and bring that damage right into the next bring place you go the into next, right the next church doesn't need that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so i'm going to transition here for a minute and talk about something that's uncomfortable for a lot of white people to talk about and that is race oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh just so my first question is you mentioned moving into Portland and it wasn't entirely welcoming at least you found out later on and you lived in an area that um, you found out later was in some sense segregated it sounds like yeah that was on purpose yeah 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 mm-hmm. on purpose so um, do you have any recollection of like thinking like oh I'm I look different from other people or I'm treated different from other people. Did, did that ever happen or not really? Not really, not really because no. um, I think sometimes it depends on the people around you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I never got, my dad was actually a racist mm-hmm. and he got that way when he was living in the South. Ah. His, his, his experiences in the South, he didn't just, he didn't leave there just because of the war time. Right, right. He left there. He saw it as an opportunity yeah, also to, to get, get out. out of there. Yeah, yeah. He's because he said to us, he said that either if I don't leave here, 
I'm either going to kill somebody or I'm going to get killed. Right, yeah. That was the and reality for him. Mm-hmm. So he came this way and he said, I'll never go back. And he actually never took us back. I was mm-hmm. in my 60s before I went to visit where I oh, lived, wow. where I was born. Yeah. So he kept his word on that. But mm-hmm. um, I, but because there were whites in Vanport, mm-hmm. the first thing here, and because there were uh, uh, whites in you know in and around the areas where we were, mm-hmm. and because there were whites and other people in the churches that I was mm-hmm. in, um, I never really felt that. And then mm-hmm. too, uh, I think uh, it was being I was involved in things. You know, mm-hmm. the church was uh, the church that I was involved in. Um, well, the Apostolic Faith Church, mm-hmm. first of all, had a ministry to the projects where a lot of us were. Mm-hmm. And you know what the Apostolic oh, Faith yeah, Church yeah. is? Okay, so mm-hmm. they are a very solid, Bible-believing mm-hmm. uh, a group of people. And so they had a ministry. They had a, they came to the projects and picked up busloads of kids, mm-hmm. busloads of us, mm-hmm. and took us to their church, uh, their mm-hmm. youth church downtown. Yeah. Yeah. And then also to their tabernacle out there off of 52nd and Duke. Uh-huh. And so where they got the fountain and they were uh-huh. just really yeah. musical people and whatnot. Uh-huh. So a lot of my um, early years were uh, spent in that kind of an environment. Uh-huh. And they, all I remember is, I don't remember them treating us differently, but we were uh-huh. all always in a group. Right, right, you right. Know, right I don't yeah. know what their politics were, their social right. beliefs were, but... Um, but I know that at that youth meeting downtown, which actually became a nightclub at one time, <laughs> Starry Night, uh-huh. um, going up those steps on a Wednesday night and listening to whoever was speaking or whatever was going on in that church, and with them inviting us to accept Christ mm-hmm. afterwards and praying, actually praying mm-hmm. and weeping at the mm-hmm. altar yeah. with us, mm-hmm. was a great experience. That is, that's great. Great experience. Yeah. And so... Um, so, but in the neighborhood, um, yeah, the neighborhood, we were the second black family that moved in on our block. Mm-hmm. And our, some of the neighbors weren't, particularly weren't that happy, mm-hmm. but um, some of those things never really bothered me that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never really bothered mm-hmm. me that much. Because actually, really and truly, by the time we moved onto that block, mm-hmm. I was married. I was uh, 19, but I was married yeah. and had a child. And uh-huh. so that was our first house. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I just really wasn't locked into a lot of societal unrest. Right. I knew that Oregon was covertly racist. Right. Or, excuse me, overt. Overtly. Covertly is like behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. It's, Co- it's, like it's, it's like undercover, yeah. Undercover. Yeah de facto mm-hmm. understood mm-hmm. so we knew that mm-hmm. because in the early days of our church when we were in a uh, a, a, a greatly a uh, mostly African American church mm-hmm. we had a music group there and I was on that music group and so we used to be invited to go and sing down like in Grants Pass mm-hmm. Medford, oh, yeah, yeah. Riddle <laughs> and all of little, those towns uh-huh. down there yeah, and, yeah. and this it's was so like annoying, yeah. Yeah, this was like in the 60s, mm. in the 60s, 50s, in the 50s. And so we knew that, you know, and the church, the people that invited us, they were white. Mm-hmm. They invited us down there. They were Church of God people, mm-hmm. Church of God Anderson, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they invited us down. And so what happened was we would go down and we were going to go down on a Saturday and stay overnight. We went down at night, <laughs> stayed over in those people's houses, and the next morning, Sunday morning, we were in the church. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. we knew that. We we had an understanding that you would not want to be caught after sundown in any of those little towns. Right. That yeah. was just kind of mm-hmm. an understanding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but those things really... Um, whether you know we've seen anybody drug through the streets or lynched or any of those things like that, never saw that, but it was a fact of life. Yeah. But did it impact <clears throat> me greatly? No, because I think in my own experience, mm-hmm. I was surrounded by 
you know, people mm-hmm. died. Yeah. And we were involved in our own youth things mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff, even at school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, so a lot of the, my experiences were different mm-hmm. uh, in that sense, but totally aware mm-hmm. uh, of certain things at an early age. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since you didn't necessarily experience um, sort of the horror, the horror stories of um, of racism, you mentioned that you you knew that that happened from from other people, and it's still happening. <laughs> like, what's your response when you see it? Like, still, are you just like, well, yeah, that's what that's what happens, or or do you, does it really get you at a gut level, visceral, or do different ones hit you in different ways? Well, I think. Um... I think as a, a Christian, I look at it, I mean, as a Christian uh, by choice, mm-hmm. I chose to serve Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And I chose to live in his way. As a Christian, I look at it and it makes you sad and you're mm-hmm. aware that those things don't happen. Mm-hmm. But I know that it's not a white thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a white thing. Mm-hmm. You see, um, we can make it a white thing if we want to, because that's easy. And I know that, and I'm not, a, I'm not unaware of how slavery happened mm-hmm. here, you know, in this country, mm-hmm. and who might have been the face of that. You know right, what I'm saying? right, I'm not, right. I'm not unaware of that. But as a Christian, I know that the enemy of all of our souls mm-hmm. is the devil. Yep. And... Uh, so if you go to a all a, a another country where there's mm-hmm. more, um, I guess the country is more is is it harmonious? Mm-hmm. Homogenous. Homogenous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> harmonious is not the word. <laughs> homogenous. The enemy is there also, and so he will find a way to make somebody the bad guy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. To have somebody pitted against the other. Yeah. The light skinned against the dark skin. Right. You know, yep. the fairer you are, the mm-hmm. more you So it's always gonna be that. Yeah. And so in the United States, what happened here was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. What's happening now is not a good thing, but we need to look at it. What I don't want, and you know, and I was thinking about this today. What I don't want the world to do, I don't. What I don't want us to have happen to us as the mm-hmm. church, uh, by way of the world's handling of things and looking at things, I don't want the church to start to have identity politics inside of it. Right. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Oh yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. that's the way they look at it. The mm-hmm. world looks at it. Mm-hmm. But the church doesn't need to, to start, um, you know, the scriptures has not a remedy for all of this mm-hmm. if we just follow it, right? Mm-hmm. Matthew seven twelve tells us what? To whatever you want to have done to you, you do that right. to other people. Right. In other words, mm-hmm. you do to others like you treat other people like you want to be treated. Right. Bottom line, that's mm-hmm. not the world's solution. Right. But the church's solution, that is there. And, he's, and, and he tells us also how to treat rich people, poor mm-hmm. people. You know, don't be because right. God is not a respecter of persons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the church today, I just don't want to see us fall into that trap of uh, trying, to, uh, trying to have solutions for various groups of people. Right. You understand know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. in Christ, there's no Greek nor Jew, mm-hmm. no whatever. Right, right, right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Rich poor and all of mm-hmm. that. So if we follow that pattern as a mm-hmm. church, why are we peculiar people? It's because we don't operate like the world does. Right. We should not. Right. So, uh, what, so therefore, I don't... <clears throat> if we start having white people feel bad because they're white, or black people feel bad because they're black, Right. Or fat people feel bad because they're poor. Oh, yeah. Or poor people feel bad because mm-hmm. they're poor, and rich people feel bad because they're poor. That's missing the point. Right. So, um, you know what? And I've, I have wandered off the question that you asked <laughs> me, but to me, it's. That's all, okay. It's good stuff. To me, it's all connected because mm-hmm. the church has the answer to the whole problem. Mm-hmm. 
the church, God's people, we have the answer to the whole problem. And the answer to the problem is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And why is Amen. that? <laughs> why is that? Because there's nobody, there's nothing, there's no one that can change your heart. Right. Yep. And unless your heart is changed, you're actually operating on empty. Right. Or worse, you know, you're operating under the influence of the devil, like you were saying. Influence of the devil. And see, some mm-hmm. people are afraid to say the devil. Right. And they're afraid to it's say not very Satan. modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not modern, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you what, um, the gospel has always mm-hmm. been an offense. Oh, yeah. Jesus was an offense. Mm-hmm. The gospel was an offense. And so, yeah. and if we're, we're, if we're afraid to offend anyone, not saying that we purposely do that. Right. But if you're going to live for Christ, you are, people will be offended. <laughs> Jesus they don't says, want to yeah, hear. Yeah, Nobody yeah. wants to hear that Jesus is the answer. That's too simplistic. Right, right. But is he not? Who mm-hmm. else is the answer? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you there, and I. I think that it is. Uh, I'm just listening to you, and I'm going mm, preach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just that I. I the church is so important. Mm-hmm. That is the way that God has to expand his kingdom here. Mm-hmm. We're his people. And if mm-hmm. we fall into the same trap and look at things the way society does, mm-hmm. which has no solutions, I don't care how many laws you pass or how many uh, like how, how many new regimes take over and change hands. None like of that means anything because they're all human beings who need Christ mm-hmm. who are either mm-hmm. leading that Right. Or a part of that, or yeah. driving that, or either the devil's mm-hmm. driving it, you yeah. know. So there's no solutions there. Yeah. And I, I, one other thing, this isn't necessarily to push back against you on that, but um, sometimes when the church is in charge, it still, it still screws up. And some of these things that happen in the South, I mean, you can see pictures of a, a lynching with white people there. And you know, on Sunday, they were in church on Sunday too. But were they following the scripture? Exactly. Like they weren't, they weren't actually thought they were uh, in a church, but were they actually following the Jesus? Following way? Jesus. See, and yeah. that's, the, that's the thing. And even when we're following Jesus, we're not perfect in that. Right. Even. Yeah. But when our heart is, is uh, committed mm-hmm. to serve him and to follow him, then he will lead us. That's going to change. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, right. if we're listening, mm-hmm. he will lead us. And it's not going to look mm-hmm. like other people. Yeah. You know, it's not going to look like mm-hmm. that as whites that are God's people. And some that are not God's people, a lot of them want to do the right thing. Right. They want to know what mm-hmm. we do and all of that. And that's good. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there's just something, but that's not the answer. Yeah. You cannot be a sacrificial lamb. Your right. blood spilled mm-hmm. is not going to bring salvation right. to these people or this country or this world, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, particularly since, uh, or even spilling black blood. I mean, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ did it once and he did it for all. And so the reason that it kind of gets to me a little bit is because unless God's people spread that message about Christ being the answer and how do you get to that and how do we recognize that we need him mm-hmm. unless God's people put that word out unless we share that where is it going to come from mm-hmm. it's not going to be done by social service agencies mm-hmm. by the Pentagon or by anybody you know what I'm saying right. that's our job yeah, they're gonna do. They're gonna do something, yeah, and that and that something is probably going to create another problem. Well, you know, and that's that's one of the things that I say. Like there, there actually aren't any solutions. There are just trade offs. Right. And you may right. be trading away something really, really good to get something that's eh, okay, or right. or you know, right. or the other way. But like, don't act as though you're not losing something when when this happens. And that has been like historically, in this country at least, most of the social services were done by the church for most of its history. Right. And who took it over? Yep. And the, the government, government has, has essentially taken it over. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, we're not trying to, um, you know, this isn't about like libertarian or Republican or no, large or small not. government. Right. But, but that's, that's simply the, a, a fact. I don't think that's um, really controvertible that no. what has happened is social services have been 
pulled have been siphoned away from the church and towards um, the state. And when that happens, there's a lot less um, there's a lot less heart dumped into it because then people are just doing a job That's rather true. than following a calling, and and there's less accountability because there isn't an actual human connection right. between the people serving and the people served. It's just um, you get a check in the mail. You don't feel like you owe anybody anything. But if someone comes and brings you like food from their garden, you're like, oh, you actually did this for me, and it changes people's um, people's outlook. I think. It does. It's something from the heart rather than following a policy right. or a program. Right. Yeah. You know, which has no heart. Yeah, yeah. Right exactly. That. You can Maybe do that without, you know. Yeah. Some of the people in there may have that. It's not saying that mm -hmm. people are just Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you understand, mm -hmm. we understand mm -hmm. what each other is saying mm -hmm. here. And I'm old enough to remember when um, I was younger then, but anyway, uh, whatever president it was, I'm not a historian, I just have some. <laughs> but whichever president it was that decided that the women that were single with children were going to get a check from the government. Yeah, that was Lyndon B. Johnson, I believe. I think yeah. it was Johnson. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that, but I'm not mm -hmm. a historian. Yeah. But, uh, that was the war on poverty. The war on poverty. Yeah. And it was the war on families. <laughs> because I remember that um, a woman could get a, pay a paycheck from the government but there could be no man in the house and social workers came around to make sure of that. You know, mm -hmm. they had to, you know, they may have been there during the week, but they had to scatter yeah. when the social worker came. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. And so that kind of like discombobulated the family. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. It did. Oh, and that makes a huge difference Big for difference. kids, yeah. Big and that's, that's, that's all the way across the board. Black, white, Hispanic, everything. Like, if, oh, if yes. dad's not around... Yeah. then yeah. the kid is more likely to drop out of school, join a gang, get pregnant out of wedlock, right. end up in prison. Um, it's that's, just not good news. No, for any for anybody in that in that sort exactly. of situation. So, exactly. Yeah, that was one of the um, policy. I've I've been trying to read up on like all all sides. Of the people are saying all different things, and, right. and one one of the things right. that that has been mentioned that I think is is well documented history is that. The war on poverty actually ended up being exactly what you were saying. Yeah. It, it incentivized the breaking up of the family. Absolutely. And absolutely. especially among those who are who are poor, because yeah, it's usually absolutely. people who are poor who are who are applying for the check or whatever. Exactly. And the last thing that they need is to not have dad at home because like just there's too much of a correlation between all these negative things and not having dad. Definitely um, destabilized the family yeah. unit at that time. <clears throat> I could have been a statistic like that uh, mm -hmm. as well because I remember a social worker coming, a case worker, social worker, mm -hmm. came to our house. We were living in the projects. This was mm -hmm. in St. John's Woods. I was like fifth grade and I was going to Sitton Grade School that's still over there mm -hmm. across Pier Park mm -hmm. in St. John's. And uh, I went to, I was there from fifth through the eighth grade. But anyway, during that time, mm -hmm. We were in the projects with a bunch of other poor people. A social worker came to our house, and my dad wanted to talk with them, I guess, have them explain what this was all about. Mm -hmm. So I remember my dad was really something because when there was something going down that was important, he had all the children come in the living room and listen together. Okay, yeah, oh, that's. It was a so good thing. Awesome. That's okay. so, we, so we were all sitting around there, and so my dad was sitting there and listening so the lady was saying you know what what had to happen you know if uh the the man couldn't be in the house and they had to know all of your business and my dad is skeptical anyway mm -hmm. but uh you know all of your your financial information and everything about you had to be you know documented and and, and which on the one hand is not a bad thing but he, he just wasn't having that so he listened to her and we were all listening. And when she left, she never came back because my dad was not going on welfare. He never did. Never, we never went on welfare. Now, it didn't mean that we didn't get free stuff because mm -hmm. the, uh, the uh, police and uh, Salvation Army program, they're still functioning mm -hmm. today. We got Christmas gifts, you know, oh, like okay, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we took that, all of those things like that, like other people that needed it. But being on welfare, getting that check, which would require that he couldn't be there, right. he wasn't having that. Mm -hmm. And had he done that, 
Mm-hmm. My dad wouldn't have been in my life until my folks died. They'd been mm-hmm. married 65 years wow. and, you know, died within a year or two of each other in their 80s. And my dad, 90s, my mother, 80 something. But see, that wouldn't have happened, but that was the story. But my mom and dad were married a lot of times. People were living together. Right. But I, I just, you know what, I, <clears throat> I understand what's going on racially and I read, read the stories and mm-hmm. hear the news like everybody else but um, for some reason I just can't get my spirit twisted mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying well that's a wonderful thing that you can't get your spirit twisted about I, I struggle with that no I don't I don't think that I think that we need to do what we can do mm-hmm. but see when we're put under condemnation that's not coming from God right he doesn't mm-hmm. condemn, That's right. right? So if you're mm-hmm. being condemned for it's being Romans white, one, yeah. and if you're being condemned for this, or you're mm-hmm. being condemned for that, you know where that's coming from. Yeah. And we're not subject to that. Right. That's and good. so the church, uh, God's people, we, mm-hmm. we just need to settle some things and understand some things. Mm-hmm. There's things that we can do, but they're all in the Word anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. right? Imagine that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but the but society, the world does not want to hear that solution. Mm-hmm. So, so and they're not ever going to want to hear it. They didn't want to hear anything when Jesus was here. Mm-hmm. He was the son of God. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. And Jesus says in John, um, don't be surprised when they do to you what they did to me. <laughs> um, Yes. And I think it's in is it in Luke when he says the disciple when he is fully matured will be like the master. Um and if the master's hanging up on a cross dripping from his blood and someone else's spit, what do we think is going to happen to us? Um probably should get ready for that sort of thing. One other thing I wanted to I wanted to ask you is that the the media tends to to portray these these uh, poles, these opposite poles, and there's these people here and there's those people there, mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like you you don't fit the media narrative of like oh this is this is the black community quote unquote as though it's this one one homogenous thing. So could you uh, yeah just tell us a little bit more about that because I know a lot of Especially in a place like Portland, that's so predominantly white. Mm-hmm. White people don't have a whole lot of interaction with people of color, and so their impressions are largely, basically, media stereotypes. Oh, so, so yeah. So could you? So could you like j- just speak into that? Like tell tell people in our con- congregation, like, hey, we're we're just as in, <laughs> we're just as diverse as everyone else, you know? Well, and that is the truth. <laughs> Because I I know that um, there's statistics um, on any group of people, Mm -hmm. you know, they can be manipulated and some people want to have a narrative out there. Don't get me wrong. There's people, black people with real problems Mm -hmm. and there's black communities with real problems. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And um, and I wouldn't get political about that either. But uh, we this is the thing. most of the black people that I grew up around in the time that I came, you know, my, you know, when I was really understanding more what was going on, they took responsibility mm-hmm. for themselves, for the family. And, and like your dad. Right? Yeah, yeah. I had mm-hmm. a, a lot of, there was a lot of two parent black families mm-hmm. in Portland. Mm-hmm that raised their children and who are still together and their children are here. So um, no matter what uh, the narrative is about any group of people, there's a large number of people that do not fit that mold. Right. Now somebody has maybe, uh, like I said, that maybe their, their, their agenda is different and they may want to, to, um, to, uh, point out those are to magnify those differences for right, reason. right 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 you see mm-hmm. so um but even in the projects when we were in Vanport there were two parent families mm-hmm. and we were all poor mm-hmm. 
And but there were I parents, I mean friends that both of their parents were there. And they were not on welfare, but they were poor, you know, mm-hmm. working in the shipyards. So that's a narrative that is to somebody's advantage to foster, not saying that that is not true to a certain extent. Right, right. But it's true to a certain extent in most any race you find. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's just in, that's a, from my from my perspective, that's that's what journalism is allowed to do. Journalism is allowed to highlight one thing and present it as though it's the whole thing. Yes. And, and that's the difference between journalism and history. Like if you're doing history that's peer reviewed, they'll say, yeah, but you missed this, you missed this, you missed this, you missed this. Journalism isn't vetted that sort of way. Particularly these days. Yeah, oh yeah. These days it's not <clears throat> controlled. But I mean, that's not saying that there's not poverty, there's mm-hmm. not oh, yeah. dysfunction, mm-hmm. and that there's not, uh, you know, there is dysfunction, mm-hmm. and there is this and that and the other, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that there's no uh, stable, functioning, right. two-parent, <laughs> yeah. black families who send their kids to college. Right. And, and that whole thing about college, um, I remember when I was in high school. I didn't go to college right out of high school. Mm-hmm. I went to college. Neither did I. I. Uh-huh. It, and it doesn't have to happen that way. That's true. Yeah. When I was 39 and had eight kids. Oh, wow. I went yeah. to Portland State. Full time as a freshman and went all over, went for six years. Wow. Having eight kids, and we were, anyway, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, my mom went back to undergrad and she finished after she was 50, I think. There you go. I yeah. mean, so, <laughs> yeah. so that whole thing, you know, uh, <clears throat> some of the things I think that the statistics and the narratives also are driven by government programs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if you can prove that this group mm-hmm. has these maladies. Or these dysfunctions, mm-hmm. then you can get the funding. You can to, get the funding, yeah, and yeah. so because I worked in the government for a while, and oh, I know how you can tailor a program to oh, yeah. funding availability. <laughs> I do know that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you can you can create a program, mm-hmm. and the the people who fit that that criteria don't see a whole lot of that money. It's the staff. Right. It funds the staff. They right. have a good job. Yeah. So I mean, and, and that's not even always true, a hundred percent. Right. But a lot of that is driven. You create a narrative for a group, mm-hmm. and then you go for the funding. And that, and that usually that's easier to do in a larger bureaucracy where it's, it it takes too much resources to have high levels of accountability, yeah. which is to once again like when you shift from like a church. Mm-hmm. Um, serving a community mm-hmm. to a bureaucracy serving a community and I've known people in the military who say the same thing they're like this whole department has been obsolete for 20 years but as long as we can convince them that we're still needed we'll keep on getting the funding know. you know <laughs> I, yeah that's the way the government works and if you don't spend yeah. all your money right exactly like you're exactly you're incentivized to spend that. more and more and more you know and he said like you get a you you can increase your budget doing something that nobody needs. But that's the way the world works. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so the church when when our mandate, you know, mm-hmm. because we're because we're uh, believers in and servers of Christ, our good works flow out of our relationship. Right. Them, right. Mm-hmm. We feed the hungry. Mm-hmm. He, he was very clear about the homeless and oh, the yeah, fatherless, yeah. the widows mm-hmm. and the mothers. And so yeah. that's why. And, and a lot of colleges were born out of churches. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Pretty much all of them here in the States were Hello. born out of churches. Yeah. But that thing that's been swept out of the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the arena of the church mm-hmm. and uh, where there was a, a, uh, Commission from Christ that we do these things. This is part of what we do. Right. And there was, like you say earlier, there was a heart and there was compassion mm-hmm. in that. I'm not saying people don't have compassion in these programs. These of course, days, yeah. But that's not the foundation of it. Mm-hmm. This is a this is like a biblical thing. This this dance between the individual and the group because you yeah. have talking about the garden. You have an individual who's who makes a decision on behalf of the group, but really. Every individual in the group would have made the decision to take the fruit. It wasn't just. Yeah. It wasn't just. Right. We can just blame Adam for right, that. Right. Right. And at the same time, Jesus is the individual who represents the the group. 
um, as a, as a sacrifice restores, to the yeah. Father. It restores everything. Right, right. So um, in both cases, you have uh, a, a one place where we are all united mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. We are all united together in the fact that we are sinful and in need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. all united in the fact that we have the same Savior. Right. And that's at the garden and at the cross. Right. <clears throat> and we're all united in the fact that we were all created from the same ball of dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's another good way of putting it. Oh, yeah. I think that's so funny. So, I mean, we made things so out there, but then think about it. That's like our, uh, you know, creativity gone wrong. It, it It's one of the things that, for me, like, confirms the whole story of the Bible. That like, If it is true that um, we are a... We are a good creation that's gone bad. So we still do the things that the creation was made to do. Like we're creative and we mm-hmm. build things and we mm-hmm. construct and we right. congregate and we, right. we right. Um, achieve things. Right. But because right. we're bent, like we're creative in the ways we torture one another and make fun of each other and poke at right. each other and point out our right. differences and right. tear each other down. Like right. this is exactly what a good thing that's twisted. It doesn't stop being constructive it doesn't stop being creative sure. it doesn't sure. stop doing those things it just does it in a way that's pretty bad <laughs> like makes things yeah. actually worse you know right um, right right so and, and <clears> then you know and that whole thing about what happened at the tower of babel mm-hmm. you know we were all scattered <clears> and all that yeah well we still people still have those uh creative juices mm-hmm. like you're mm-hmm. saying the intellect is, mm-hmm. is still busy god gave us that yep. ability yeah. so it's still at work and whatnot but um but since we all jointly came from that situation mm-hmm. and what's happening out here, mm-hmm. we need to not make such a such a know, fuss. Such well, a thing. I mean, yeah. look at Acts chapter two, the the coming of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. was um, virtually all scholars agree, this is the Tower of Babel being undone. This is all the different languages coming together. It's a unitive thing that's happening and so as the church like we should be looking at this is and you see it throughout the rest of acts you see it um where um first that that happens the spirit falls on the 11 and whoever it was that was there and then the spirit falls on the samaritans and Peter's like, whoa, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it falls on on the Gentiles, and he's like, oh, I, I, yeah. I, like I can't go to the people of these other races. Like it had already happened at, at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, yeah. that the other languages are there. Like that should that should start cluing you in, you know. And then like it happens with Samaritans, and they're like, oh shoot, like what's God actually doing? Yeah. And then God has to give Peter a dream three times just to get him to go. Yeah. To the Gentiles, yeah, and then the Gentiles, like the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then Paul, or then Peter, still has to go back to the church and kind of justify the fact that he went to a Gentile's house. So they still haven't broke free from that Babel kind of way of thinking of like, oh, there's those people, and there's our people, and there's those people. Like now, it's slowly coming together. The church is learning. Hey, the barriers are actually already down. Right, They're right, already right. down. The Spirit has already broken those barriers down. That's, it's I've just never us. Thought of it that way. Yeah. I never thought about mm-hmm. that Tower of Babel thing coming mm-hmm. back. Right. I mean, it was because that's where the language. Yeah, that's where the languages were confused, yeah. and here's where you all different people are hearing the same message. That's awesome. So, that's yeah. Very powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a funny thing that you were mentioning about the uh, Peter had to, to, God had mentioned to him three times, mm-hmm. show him that thing. Which I, but the thing that is, because of the Holy Spirit, they actually, after listening mm-hmm. and seeing, they went with it. Then they started going, yep. Yeah, they yep. started going with mm-hmm. that. You know, and it's just like, um, we're no different today, you know, but the Holy Spirit is an operative factor here. Yes. Are we listening though? That's the thing, yeah, right? That's why it's so important. And so I, I so <clears throat> my focus, you know, in life, even all mm-hmm. these racial issues and all of that, mm-hmm. is um, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and try to to uh, do what the Word is saying mm-hmm. and try to look at that, look at the solution 
focus on the solution rather than the problem. Right. Because the problem looks however the media wants it to look mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or need I say Black Lives Matter, right. all of those things like that. It's, it's defined by whoever is defining mm-hmm. it. But Jesus never changes. Mm-hmm. His solution never changed. Right. And that, yeah, that's exactly what part part of me just looks at the, especially the media nowadays, and just says, "Man, there's so much smoke and mirrors going on." I can, I can, I can spend hours trying to figure out um, like what's actually going on, mm-hmm. and because nobody actually knows what's going on, your your solutions are going to inevitably fall short. But I know Jesus has a solution. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the smoke and mirrors can really be a distraction for the church from just continuing the work that we've been called to do for the last 2,000 years. So then what do we do? We have to... Be the church, right? We have to turn off the smoke and mirrors, right? (laughs) Yeah, just just be the church. Just just, just kind of touch in with it it every now and then because that can't be... Because our emotions would be like this. Yeah, that's... I've actually found this, like, for myself... I'll tr- I'll try and tune in, and then I'll reach like this capacity, where I'm like I can't I can't deal with it anymore. I need to just I need to switch it off and take a break. That's the devil's work. Yeah, because that's the, we're being anxious. <clears throat> yeah, we're being troubled, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and God and Jesus told us to be none of that. Right. So when we are, there's something that's causing that that's not coming from Him. Mm-hmm. So, but we all struggle with that because yeah. there's things that I have to keep, mm-hmm. you know. Keep pushing it away and keep pushing it away, you know. um, So uh, we, we as God's body, as the body of Christ, we have a great responsibility to be the body, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We need to be it, and the time to be it is now. Right. And we can't, um, we can't allow um, the identity politics to control what we think, how we think, and what we do. Yeah. And some people will say, you know, you're just putting your head in the sand, you're just mm-hmm. denying that there's right. a problem. There's always been, there's there's, gonna, there's always going to be a problem, there is a problem, and we do what we can do with this, but that's my heart. Mm-hmm. That's my heart, it's not perfect. Well, thanks for sharing it. In him the sparrow finds its nest, and the lamb at last its fold, trailing written